and there's still time. Welcome to episode 60 of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Steve Pander. And we're going to look back on the wonderful weekend in Utah that saw the Whitecaps come back from two goals behind to get a vital point against Real Salt Lake. So what a game that was, Steve. For 85, 86 minutes, looked like the Whitecaps were going to get nothing. Then a couple of RSL mistakes and the Whitecaps come away from a point. Stunning point, really, to, to get. It was, and it was funny to listen. Uh, a couple of things. The the obituary that Luke Wildman was uh, basically speaking about the Whitecaps in, like, in the last few minutes, just before that Mosquito goal, was hilarious to look back on now. Because he was basically just writing them off at that point. It was just like, what can we learn from here and stuff like that. Well, I, I had written them off completely as yeah. well. And I, I, I think I, I tweeted out after after the equaliser went in, dozens of journalists now all over North America frantically trying to change their bylines yeah. before they have to get it sent off for their match report. It, it just didn't look on. It just didn't look like it was going to happen. But yeah, they never gave up. Cal Robinson said after the match that it showed the, the never-say-die attitude of the team, and it, and it did. It's just a pity that we didn't see a little bit more of it for the first 85 minutes. No, I would like to see a little bit of living attitude in the first like 80 minutes or so, so they don't have to get to the never-say-die never moments. It, it was a pretty bad first half. Yeah. It was a, Well, let, let's get to the first 10 minutes. I, I was driving home from a Provincial Cup game, so I was listening to the start of the game on the radio. First goal, just as I was driving up to my house, second goal just as I got into the house and I'm like, okay, is there any point of watching this now? Because it, it looked like it was going to be a blowout by that point. Yeah, it did. And I, like you were talking about people writing them off at that point, I, I basically wrote them off after the 10 minutes. I, th- I didn't think we were going to come back at all. There was, there looked like no fight in them at all. And, and yeah, people were talking about they, they came back, but in that, even after going down two goals, there was no comeback at, at that point. No. That first half, full first half, RSL could have gone up three or four nothing if they if they if they converted their chances. Well, they, they certainly had the chances, and and to me, it it looked like every time RSL were going forward, you kind of felt that they had the ability in that team to score. Every time the Whitecaps had the ball and were trying to go forward, you just felt it wasn't going anywhere, and it didn't. So so true. It, it was. The, I don't. And the thing is, is a lot of people are blaming the wide players in Mane and Tybert, and we obviously get more detail into that. I personally think the midfield was the main culprit in not being able to provide anything to that place. And I think the obviously you can't sub the two holding midfielders because there was no other holding midfielder on the bench. Oh, Bryce Alderson. Yeah, but they were they needed attacking players yeah. at that point, so they had to sub attacking players on. 
but it was just like nothing going forward at all, and it was just very disappointing to see. Well, talk, talking of the midfield, in the build-up to the game, the the big focus, everything that, that Robinson talked about all week at training was how they were going to play against that diamond. They knew that Salt Lake were going to control the middle of the park and give up the wings. So you took it that the Whitecaps' plan was to tear up both wings, and they just weren't doing that at no, all. No, they couldn't get the ball out there. It was, it was amazing. And I think a little bit RSL compensated for that too. They were playing their... Their side points, the two guys, the Mulholland and and Grabovoy, they were playing them. They started they started widening out too to take away those wings. So they were they were assisting their fullback. So and and would close in when the ball came into the middle. So it was almost like a an accordion the way they were they were just going in and out and in and out and they were really helping out on the on the wide areas. So it, it negated what Vancouver was trying to do in the first half. So let's look at the, the goals that RSL got. Now, the first one, it was a nice bit of pace from Plata. Completely left lever on, flat. He just yeah. couldn't get anywhere near him. And then he, he fired the shot across the goal. So a couple of things to ask about that. First of all, do you think Eisted could have done better? Is, is there anything he could have done positionally-wise to, to keep that ball out? That's a, that's a, one of those ones where you're hoping your goalie comes up big for you. Uh, ultimately, not very many goalies would have stopped that. Um, he did go a little bit late to the ground, but that's all technique, and I don't know anything about goalie technique. Not obviously playing goal for so long. I don't. I don't know anything about it at all. So and I like Plata as well. He is the Whitecaps slayer. He yeah, did it at TFC. He's doing it at RSL. So he just loves to score against the Whitecaps. The thing is, Benishore, I felt got caught up a little bit high, which allowed um, Plata to you know get that wide area and beat Leveron. Also, one thing I would mention is that there was no cover by the by the holding midfielders. Neither Kofi or Lava were there to cover the beta shark because he was caught up and going up top. So it was it was it was a little bit of breakdown there. But ultimately, it was a great shot by Plata. Oh, yeah. Nothing could be done. But it, it all stemmed from a giveaway by Russell Tiber, and it, it's like the the sloppy play again from the Whitecaps and lack of concentration, just silly mistakes, is costing them dear. Week in, week out. Yeah, it started off with Tiber, but I, I'm not going to blame Tiber on that 100%. Because I think you're one of the few folk from, from some of the online reactions. No, but those those giveaways, uh, he was trying to break Maddox on the wing. Uh, that's something that you expect him to do. Obviously, somebody stepped in front of the pass and got a hold of it. It was at the halfway point. There's still time to recover and, and be defensive in that position. So in the, in the, it's not like a giveaway in the middle of the park or like deep down. It was like at the halfway point. I think there was still time to recover. Now, Johnny Leverin had come in for Jay Demerit. We kind of got an indication that that's what was going to happen at training on Thursday. I was pleased by it because I just think it should be Leveron and O'Brien that are, are the starting centre-back pair at the moment. I don't feel, though, that Leveron, especially in the first half, which even Robinson admitted after the game, that if Leveron could get that first half back, he would want that back. But I, I thought Leveron was a little bit poor, and he was definitely caught for that first goal. But overall, what did you think of the play of the Honduran? Do you think he's done enough to take that spot from Demerit properly, or are we going to see Demerit back in this coming weekend against San Jose? I think we're going to see Demerit back in. I, I don't think Leveron. I don't. I don't think he played horribly. Yes, he got beaten for the goal. I don't think it was as bad as people are saying, but I don't think he did enough to keep that spot. And I think O'Brien Brian made a mistake too, if you think of it that way, on the Sabrio. He gave way too much space to Sabrio on that play and the, the, when Grab, Grabaway, let's talk about the second, because it came so quickly after the first yeah. one. 
Uh, I mean, the White Cash just didn't even have a chance to, to settle, and RSL just they, they obviously sensed blood and they just kept going, and it was it was a great goal. Manny, you gotta you gotta say Manny probably messed up there initially because of the fact that he let Beltran go wide open. He was supposed to cover him and it forced Harvey to come out and cover him, and that opened up a lot of space in the middle there. Now, the thing that annoyed me about that goal was that Grabavoy just waltzed through. I mean, you, you, if you froze the frame, there was like five white cap shirts, but Grabavoy waltzed through four of them. Not one player put a tackle, and obviously they're worried if you mistime that tackle, he goes down the box, it's a penalty. But no challenge, no even trying to put him off. And then eventually the ball broke to Sabaria, and that was some finish. Eisted had no chance on that one at no, all. No, no chance at all. Beautiful finish. Yeah. It was, uh, the, I think the guy, the one guy that had a chance was probably, I, I would probably say Laba probably had a chance on that on that one. It went through his legs or something like that. And when the ball finally got to Sabrio, that's where I was talking about O'Brien. You wish O'Brien had put a little bit more pressure on Sabrio, but obviously it was watching Grabovoy make a play to the middle and had to be ready in case Grabovoy went back up and tried to take a shot himself, so... There's nothing we could you could do about that. It was just a poor beginning to the play with Beltran getting being able to send that cross into the box. So let's go now from minute nine up to minute eighty six because there wasn't really, to be fair, that much happening in between that. Well, there was well, well, there were chances in the in that first half as well. Beckerman, Sabrio, they both had chances. I remember that Beckerman shot that Ousted went nuts on. Um, almost lost it and almost pulled a Jimmy Nielsen on the <laughs> lost his nut, and then and then the only Whitecaps chance that they even came close to creating a chance was the when Tiber sent in the shot uh, cross into Harvey and Harvey just about got under it and and put it in but it sent it over the bar. Well, at least he got up there, which is what we we thought was going to be one of the keys prior to the game was like attacking up that left wing and we hadn't really seen it, but at least Harvey at least got in that position. But the, but during the second half, they clearly got off on the better foot. I think uh, it wasn't. They still had, weren't creating that many chances, but they were at least into the game. They were, they were in the ascendancy. They were yeah. enjoying possession, but once again, they weren't doing anything with it. And there was an interesting debate on the team post-game show, where Pete Shad and Davy Norman felt that from half time, it was a different Whitecaps team. They they looked really good. They looked like they were promising. They looked like they were going to score. And Jason DeVos was basically saying that he didn't feel that and it was only late in the game that he, th- he felt that the Whitecaps were going to do something. And I actually agree with DeVos on, on that because for all the possession that the Whitecaps had, the changes that they made just past the hour mark and that kind of six, seven minute spell, they still didn't actually look like they were going to trouble Salt Lake and Salt Lake looked really comfortable. Well, I agree with Davy and Pete that they would look like a different team and they looked better on the ball and everything, but... I agree with Jason in the fact that they didn't look dangerous to score at all until that late part. But I do agree that because how horrible they played in that first half, they, they it was almost like a night and day kind of thing for the oh, second yeah. half. So because they, cause they just put more effort into the game at, at that point. And Robinson talked after the game that he he thought about the substitutions long and hard because he said he felt that a goal was coming. I don't know how he felt that because up until those substitutions, it did not feel to me, like any goal was coming. Then he made the three quick subs. First of all, bringing on Hurtado, and then Fernandez, and then later on, bringing on Mesquita just a, a few minutes later. And impact subs once again. Well, and it, it, Impact at the end of the game, but yeah. during during that period, that 25 minutes after the subs were made, 
they really didn't do much either. It wasn't it wasn't no. a drastic upgrade or anything no. like that. And that's actually I'm going to be writing an article. We're recording this on Monday. I'm writing an article for Soccerly today about that very fact. There was a lot of quotes after the game talking about how the substitutions changed the game, etc., etc. Technically, they did because it was two subs that scored, but at the same time. Technically, they didn't because it was RSL errors that were pounced upon. Yeah. And up until those errors, they, they hadn't done anything to get the White Cats back into it. I totally agree with you there. And the fact that the the RSL had that glorious chance in the 80th minute to put go up 3 nothing. Oh, and it, it's Sabrio's like header. the fingertips of Eisted. Yeah. Who would have thought that just the slightest of touches would have had such a dramatic change of events for, for the whole game? And if it wasn't for the spin of the ball, like Nat Borchers just basically had to Atiba Harris the ball into the net where it just like guided in with any part of his body. And and, and it would have been a three nothing yeah, win. Off, it, it, off the bar, off the post. And, and it just spun. It yeah. spun out of the way so that way Winger had um Borchers had no chance to get it, or else it would have been three nothing. That that saved him. And then in the eighty sixth minute it all started to change and it was a mistake. I mean, I, I think you guys on the pre-game podcast had talked up Nick Romando so much that he was bound to make an error, and he did. Yeah, it was a the it was a a poor delivery of a free kick by Mosquita into the box. It was headed out weakly too as well, and then Maddox picked up the ball. the The thing is, Maddox went wide, took that hard shot. But what was most interesting, and a lot of people aren't playing this up, is Mesquita, as soon as the ball was recovered by Maddox, he made a, a, a straight line to Yeah, the he net. was pointing where he wanted yeah, it as well. He, he made a straight line. He completely caught every RSL defender off guard. Nobody was even paying attention to him at all. Yes, he was a bit offside, but you were saying the second phase of play might have might have might well, have been. For, for me, I think it was second phase because Romano clearly had. Possession. Yeah, he had it, and then he fumbled it. Yeah. So I, I feel it was okay. So I mean, I'm I'm. Fine and and no that. RSL player at all complained about the no. offside. Nobody had their hand up or anything like that. But it was that's something that the Whitecaps none of their players seem to do, where they make a run. I was mentioning earlier, like before the goals uh, came that there were a couple of crosses where the ball missed the guy that was in the middle of the pitch, uh, middle of the box, and went to the far post. But Maddox hadn't made a run into the box where he could have easily like put some pressure or even maybe got a shot on the net. So the, it seems like players still aren't making their runs into the box when the crosses are coming on you know, the near post, the middle, and the far post. It doesn't seem to happen regularly. But Mosquito here went into the thing... Well, Obviously, hoping something came up, it did. Romano fumbled it, and he was able to flick it in with almost his side heel or back heel. Yeah, I, I said in my match report that he had the easy job of just putting it into the net. But then when I watched it again, I thought, you know, I haven't actually done him justice because that finish was fantastic. Yeah, it, He did well to kind of flick it the way he did. Kind of showed the skill. I mean, because he could have he could have hit it straight down. It might have hit Romando again in the legs or something like that. He actually guided it to the far pole, the far area where there was completely empty net. Yeah, and it, it got the the caps back in the game. I still didn't think we we're going to get a point out of it by that stage. And even like deep into the closing seconds of the game, you still didn't think it was going to happen. And then Betashir with a fantastic tackle to take the ball away from Sabarillo, who. 
If I was an RSL fan or a coach, I'd be going mad with Sabria after the game. He had so many options to, to get rid of that ball. He had Grabovoy on the right. If he passed out to Grabovoy, game over. We were yeah. talking about that. It's like, it's done. And then he just lost control of it. And I, I put a lot of fault on Sabria as well. I It's a phrase which I, I thought people would know over here, but you weren't really sure when we were talking about it. To me, he shat out of that tackle. And what that means is he bottled it. If he had gone in, he might not have won the ball from Betasure, but he would have put Betasure off enough and taken something off the ball so, so it wouldn't have gone far enough to Fernandez. Or it wouldn't have gone straight to Fernandez. Yeah. It could have gone deflected to somewhere else. And by pitch. that time, he had, Fernandez would have been closed down, etc., etc. So I think that's a lesson for kids. Don't give up on the ball. Even if you don't think that you're going to do it or you're worried you might get hurt, you have to go in hard. You have to win those tackles or at least challenge for those tackles. But the ball came to Fernandez, and wow, what a strike! Yeah, it's fantastic strike. He he, he it kind of swerved, dipped and swerved. the The commentators were talking about that maybe the Romando was screened or something like that. Even if he was, it, the ball was. I think he could have gotten to it. We've seen Nick Romando make those saves before. So, and then it was funny that uh, also funny that uh, we had Marius Rome to tweet you. I think they tweeted you yeah. and said, and I told you that if you get the ball to the corners or the down low, Romando can't get to them. Also, yeah. funny that way. It's, it's kind of strange seeing a, a coach tweeting you after the game saying, see, what I told you in the podcast was right. So that's why everyone should listen to our, our preview podcasts because the insight we get from the coaches is clearly top-notch. So an unlikely point for the Whitecaps, a great point for the Whitecaps, much needed with a very tight Western Conference as it's already shaping up. Let's have a look now at some of the individual performances. So we talked about Johnny Leveron already. Let's talk about some of the attackers now. Kenny Miller. Another really quiet game from the Scott. Completely was not on. I thought I personally thought he was their worst player in the first half. He didn't do anything at all. I, I thought he was uh, he was a player who knew his, his time was up in Vancouver, it seems like, maybe. And he was looking for a contract and not wanting to be injured before that contract had signed. I find him quite ineffective. I also, I, I do wonder if he would have got the start if Morales had been fit to go. Yeah. Or whether they would have kept him on the bench. And I think that was possibly the original plan. And you have to wonder if Mesquita should be in that position now with what he's shown in that little, little bit. I, I thought he was good on the ball and everything in his time when he did come on. Well, I was really surprised. Like When, when we found out that Morales hadn't travelled and wasn't in the starting lineup. What really surprised me was that they hadn't slotted Mosquito in in his place, and I, I thought it was a natural switch. I think they would have. I think they they were worried because they want Kakuda has shown enough to be a starter, and I didn't. Th- I don't think they wanted some veteran presence up top. Uh, th- I think that's the reason why. That's why I think you, you were right. Probably if Morales was starting, that they would have probably taken Miller off at that point. But I mean, Miller, he plays best as an out and out striker, and well, to be fair to him, he wasn't getting any service anyway. But even when the ball was coming to him, he didn't really... He wasn't as switched on as we've seen him in the past. No. I don't know if he just maybe doesn't like playing at altitude. He struggles a little bit. But, I mean, he he was really ineffectual. And if we look at some of the other guys, like Matix as well, didn't have his best of his recent games. Strong did, second half. Yeah, though. I mean, did show that great burst and the shot that, that led to the, the first goal with Romando fumbling. But... Uh, and Predictapuch in the background, he obviously agrees with that. He was a bit disappointed by, by Matic's performance. And I, I think that little grumble from Predictapuch, if you picked it up there, he was just upset that his prediction was wrong because of Nick Romando. Well, he's very bitter right now, I think he's like. But then Kikuta Mani, we've, we've mentioned him a couple of times, and 
I don't know. I still don't know if he has what we need as a starter. The the you gotta say the ball they didn't get the ball to him at all. And I think that we talked about earlier. Arsenal, I think, saw Manny on the pitch. They knew what he was all about, and I think they really tried to get him off his game. And 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 they. Well, really... also a lot of people are saying that Manny's best position, and like his previous coaches have said yeah. that Paul Dalglish and others, is his best position is when he's playing as an out and out striker. Somewhere in the middle of the pitch, yeah. Hurtado as well actually does better when he's playing as an out and out striker. Yeah. But we're using these guys on the wing. And I think it's it's kind of affecting their game a bit. Yeah, I think I think they need to go four four two where they have two strikers up top in order to get the best out of these guys. The four two three one works, but it it just in certain situations, but not not to start off a game maybe. And I think they were just maybe a little bit intimidated with the fact that RSL plays the four four two so well that they didn't want to take their chances with that. But um, let's go to next player. I think we should talk about is the two holding midfielders, Lab and Kofi. I thought first half they were disappointing as well because you want some service, some build up to the attack from the you know middle of the field. I know they didn't want to go through the middle of the field, but those two guys they weren't able to, able to spray the ball wide, and I think that was a big detriment to them. I think even the second half they didn't do too much, but they were able to at least win the ball more. Like Kofi, I think thought thought did really well in the second half in winning the ball and getting the ball out up up the field quicker. I thought Kofi had a good game, and I, I do think he has. I mean, I, the first couple of games when he came in, I was critical that he hadn't shown enough, he hadn't done enough to to keep that starting spot. And Robinson said after the game that Martin Pert had been speaking to him the day before, uh, speaking to Kofi, and saying to him that there's no point Kofi having a couple of good games and then falling off, which is his fault and what he did all last season. Had a couple of good games, then fell out of it. He needs to be on game after game after game with the competition that there is in the squad. And Kofi seems to have taken that on board. And I'm happy to go with a Kofi and Laba defensive shield in the yeah. 4-2-3-1. And obviously that the, means there's no room back for Rio Coca, but we'll come to that in a sec. But I think Kofi has done enough to to keep in the starting spot. My only problem with the two-man shield is it neuters Laba quite a bit. And Laba doesn't play as well whenever he's got a two-man yeah, shield. Yeah, he does definitely play better when he is that one. Yeah. And I, I think we are going to see more of that on the road. I think we're going to see the 4-2-3-1. And I think Kyle's probably going to go either 4-4-2 diamond, maybe even 4-3-3 or 4-1 whatever. Um, 4-1-4-1, 4-1-3-2, whatever he wants to go with at home games. I think he's maybe going to do that and leave Laba to have that single single role. And then if it works really well at home, he might end up trying it for away games. But I, I do think Kofi's going to keep in the team so let's talk about Rio Coca now. He was sick. I'm not sure if he's just sick of being in Vancouver or if he's sick. So do you think he's going to come back in the team or do you think he's going to go? Well, I think we answered that a little bit in the preview question in the preview podcast. I, I, I at this point, and it, things obviously are very fluid right now. I don't think he plays again for the Whitecaps. You have to question that a little bit. He, well, then there's a reserve game on Tuesday against Victoria Highlander, so we might see him playing in that. Well, if he's too sick, then I don't know if he's going to be able to play that. There is a bit of a flu going around too, so I don't know if how much that's true. And but a lot of these players are able to play through the flu usually. True. So we talked earlier about the substitutions or the guys that came on as subs being the difference makers in the end. And what's been disappointing is the Whitecaps got off to a slow start again. 
And once again, they had to come from behind to salvage the point for the second week running, just like they did against LA. Now, Steve, you've got some thoughts on the, the whole delivery of, of the message. Yeah, it's just it, it's a quick point. Is You have to wonder, is it the, the, the delivery of the message by the coaches? Are they getting through to the players or are the players just not getting it? Because it seems like every game or majority of games that the players are not starting out the game, even if, even if sometimes at home too, they're not starting out right. They're letting the other team dictate the play. And it, it just seems to be maybe they need to substitute earlier in the game, even in the first half, if Robinson can see that these guys aren't getting it. Just get the players off and get somebody else on there right away. Yeah, far too often the Whitecaps have been at a second-half team. And it's great to, to show that resilience and that fight back. And it's everything that's said about it and the character of the team, all that's great. But they cannot afford to, to go down to those early goals, and especially when it's due to, to mistakes and switching off and everything like that. So it's something they have to work upon. I don't know how they can change it overnight. But yeah, is it Robinson's first half message is wrong? Or is it the players that's not delivering? We're not going to know for certain. I do kind of feel it's the latter, though, and that for whatever reason, the players that are on the pitch are not performing. And if that's the case, then Robinson's not going to be afraid to make changes. And I mean, he's given himself a selection headache for the game against San Jose on Saturday, which we won't go into too much just now. We'll, we'll leave that for your, your preview podcast. But there's a lot of people in contention. And the reserve game that we mentioned that is coming up against Victoria on Tuesday is going to be another chance for some of these guys to show that they, that they merit a start. And when these guys come in, if they can become a 90-minute team and not just a 45-minute team, then these could be the guys that we see taking the Whitecaps through for the rest of the season. Yeah, and I think it's a matter of that people maybe are getting too... reading their headlines too much maybe as well, that they're they're getting... they're thinking that they're too good and they don't need to work hard and... And maybe they need to keep rotating players in and out in order to get the best out of everybody. But you also want to have a little bit of stability. You don't want to keep players coming and going. And it's like Robinson said weeks ago now that he did want to have a, a settled starting lineup by now. He hasn't got that. We've got the Voyagers Cup games coming up as well, which is going to mean more chopping and changing. So we'll see what happens. But they got a vital point down in Salt Lake and it kept them in the, the final playoff spot in the West after eight games. So let's look at what else happened with the Western teams in MLS this week in our MLS Musings. So we haven't done the Musings for a a couple of weeks and we're just going to look at the games that affected Western Conference teams this week. So the Saturday afternoon kicked off with very comprehensive win for Seattle against Colorado. A little bit of revenge for last year when they lost 5-1 in Colorado. And it was good from a Whitecaps point of view because it kept Colorado to within one point of the Whitecaps in the standings. And I, I do think it's still going to be a battle between the Whitecaps, Colorado... And who knows who's going to come from behind us now uh, for, for for that last playoff spot. Well, who's going to drop back? Because I think still think FC Dallas has the ability to drop back I, a I little bit. I don't know. We'll, we'll come to them. We they talk about be, this every year. And it yeah, does. they <laughs> seem to be imploding. Um, but Seattle, I hate to say this, Clinton Dempsey is looking... It's very strong. Yeah, yeah, he's looking worth the money. And the thing is, it was all the game basically came down to eight minutes. So the added time in the first half and the first... Uh, few minutes in the second half and a basic game over. Three goals in that period. 
I, did, I was watching the game on the, the Seattle TV station. I can't even remember whether it's Kong or King or something with those letters in it anyway. And they were just going on. It was like a Dempsey love fest. It was like, oh, Dempsey's contributed to this amount of goals so far for the Sounders this season. He's scored this many, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he has another fantastic performance. And he is what the Whitecaps are missing. Not him as a person, naturally, but... A type of player. That type of player. Because don't say that, because then some other people are going to start saying you're... You're spreading rumours that they're going to trade for this player <laughs> just because you admire them and say that's the type of player the Whitecaps need. I know, Will Bruin is, is not coming from Houston. No, he's not. He's not getting traded here. We I, I said, never, never said that he we was. We said he's the type of player the Whitecaps need. Someone that can actually put the ball in the net. Although Somebody who could provide physical presence in the middle of the pit. We need somebody like him that can make the difference. I don't think the Whitecaps have that. And it, it, it was a very thorough 4-1 victory. Yeah. They, they they got a little bit... The only bright spot for Colorado in this game was that their homegrown player, uh, Dylan Serna, scored his first as a MLS player, and that, that was the only bright spot for them. Otherwise, they they were they were dominated throughout the whole game. There's there very little chance. And they, it seemed like they rested quite a bit of players, too. Deshaun Brown was on the bench. Mar- Marvell Wynn was on the bench. Sanchez was on the bench, and they... They played almost like it was almost like a sec a, a similar way they were playing against the Whitecaps, except this time nobody got a red card. Well, talking of red cards, that win for Seattle took them to the top of the Western standings, displacing Dallas, who imploded yeah. against DC United. Two red cards. Dallas had taken the lead. It was just it was a horror show in, in the second half, in particular from Dallas, and it, well, it was some quick goals from from DC that did the damage. Well, Diaz scored his. Uh third of the season and he's been like a sensation but the thing yeah, it was a lovely build up play as well and a nice sure. little flick from, from Perez and uh, but the game game turning point like you said was the, that second yellow to Zach Lloyd at, in about the 39th minute or so yeah I mean Dallas were comfortable up to that point it's yeah. like they, they looked in control of the game it looked like they were going to get at least a point I would have put my money on them getting three at that stage well I wouldn't say they looked comfortable the possession of the the, the, the DC United had the majority of possession. It was just a matter of the Dallas didn't really feel threatened at all by that possession. But, uh, but going back to Lloyd, the, the funny thing is, is he is that that tackle. People, the FC Dallas uh, commentators were saying that that wasn't even worth a yellow card. His slide tackle with two basically two studs, two studs showing two, you know, on on the ankle. I think it, based on what referees have done, MLS referees have done in the past, that could have been a straight red. It just happened to be he was on a yellow before. He did jump in. It, it's. I'm just saying, first, but yeah, I'm not. His, I'm not agreeing with it. But a bit soft. The first yellow was a lazy play that I can't stand when yeah. soccer players do that because they, they're basically just giving up on the play instead of running out and trying to get in front of the attacker. But that, like, based on what MLS referees have done, that's usually a straight red from the from what we've seen in the past. And then Espindola tied it up just before the break for for DC United, and then the second half got off to an interesting start because. Chris Seitz and goal for Dallas was booked for time wasting three minutes into the second half. Yeah, that made that, no that's sense like, whatsoever. That's just like bizarre. Um, I I thought when because I was watching the condensed highlights, I thought that was building up to showing him getting a second one later and getting yeah. a red card, but but he didn't. But they did get a second red card later on. But we'll before we come to that, the 60th and 69th minute, that's when the dam broke for and DC United got the, the, the rest of their goals and took complete control of the game. Yeah, Blobby Boswell, as I always like to call him, and Sean Franklin and Espindola with his second 2-1-3-1-4-1. you, you got to say Espindola was the difference maker for this game. He oh, was totally. just fantastic in this game. 
Uh, and, the, and then it came finished for Dallas with uh, a straight red for Michelle. But I, that one, I don't feel like there was very much I, contact. I think he punched him. Did he punch him? I, 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 I watched it. It does say in the, it does say in the in the stats afterwards in the in the breakdown that it was for violent conduct. So he, he I, punched him. It was because the, the foul itself wasn't. A, a carnival offense. No, like the Dallas commentators thought they weren't sure what it was. They thought it might have been an elbow coming in. But if you watch it, it's it's really hard to see. Yeah. But he does a little kind of rabbit punch into the guy. Yeah. And it's like the guy. If I had been me, I would have sold it a lot more. But the fair play to the DC guy, he didn't. Horror from Dallas, and and it was completely dominated. Uh, the performance for DC United, the possession, they they controlled the sixty eight to thirty two with during the game. It was 72% in the second half that they had possession. It was just a... a there was only one... Like, MLS.com has a, like these things where they do five-minute windows. There was only one window where FC Dallas had more than 50% possession. Dallas, this is this also is going to be hurtful for them because they're going to lose Lloyd, Michelle for the next game, and then Mauro Diaz went off at halftime with an injury. So, and your fr- your favorite, Adam Offit, came on, but it didn't make, seem to make a difference at all. And Diaz has been their main player throughout this first ha- bit of the season. So, we'll, we'll see if this is going to be a, another good start for Dallas that then tails off. Now, one of the other games, it was an all-Western clash between Chivas and San Jose at Buck Shaw. And I gave up watching that game. Uh, I, was I don't really want to wa- talk about it, really. Okay. <laughs> it was a 1-0 win for San Jose. Chivas, Chivas actually controlled the majority of the... Ch- seemed like they had the more of the chances. Um, Bush was forced to make a few saves, but their second half sub, Yannick Giallo, I think they call him... I think that's how you pronounce it. He was basically scored on a, a dribbler. He miss, kind of mishit the shot and it bounced past Kennedy. And that was basically it. There was not much to say about that game at all. So I went for San Jose, took them from being bottom in the West to third bottom, and they're now just two points behind the Whitecaps. How important do you think that win is going to be for the game that's coming up for the Whitecaps on Saturday? Well, you might, you might want to say, people might say that they're going to be on form coming into this game, but if they anybody... They have two games in hand, yeah. which is kind of scary. If anybody watches that game, they clearly did not look like they were on form and so I, I don't I don't see it being much of an issue for San Jose. They still seem to be not knowing how they want to play. Mark Watson took over. He he had him good going well in the second half of the season last year, but this year has not been this it's been the same story to their start last year. I, I do feel though that Saturday's game could be one of the turning points of the season for the White Caps. I feel they have to get three points from that. Yeah. Because just how close it's going to be for the teams battling it out for fourth and fifth spot, I think that Salt Lake, Seattle, LA—they're the—they're the top three. I know LA's below the Whitecaps just now, three games in hand. Um, I mean, they're going to be the top three. So you're looking at the battle for fourth and fifth, yeah. and then the also runs. And games like this one against San Jose, just like the previous one against Colorado, that's going to be key for the Whitecaps going forward. And it is a—it's you can look at it two ways. It's like San Jose wasn't a good performance but they're going to be buoyed by getting the win and coming in but at the same time it takes a little bit of the weight off their back because they have got that win now so they're not going to be maybe as hungry and they might play a little bit more defensively so to- but we'll see what happens totally understand that. That. and the thing one point point I want to make about how you're talking about the Whitecaps it's an important game in five Western Conference games so far this year, they've had two losses and three draws. So they need to pick up a yeah, win out they, of one. They still haven't, haven't got a win against Western Conference opposition. And talking about teams that are struggling to get wins just now, Sunday's game, 
between uh, Houston and Portland. Houston went into winless in five. Portland went into winless in seven. They came out with it winless in six and winless in eight. And before that game started, I would have put money, I would have put a lot of money on neither team winning that. And and so it turned out it was a one-all game. Houston took the lead. Will Bruin it gets the run scored. Of play. Yep. Well, yeah. I mean, Port- Portland were definitely dominating possession. Yeah. Um, Will Bruin got back scoring. He hadn't scored for, I think it was 317 minutes off yeah. the top of my head, is what the commentator said. And I only know that because I watched that game this morning. Obviously, that, that goal will earn him that contract to, to the Whitecaps that he is so eager eager to get. <laughs> then it was a nice goal from Fernandez. It's like, Fernandez is a scoring goals this week, so that brought Portland level. But then after that, Portland in the second half just seemed content. Die. To, they died down. Oh, they just sat back and they were like soaking up the pressure. They were defending deeper and deeper and deeper. And yeah... Houston pinned them back, but they, they couldn't get that breakthrough. There was only one chance of Bruin. Bruin had this chance in about the 70th minute or so, and Ricketts came up big to one of his you know stops he made last year. He made it this year. Uh, that, that basically preserved the tie for Portland. Otherwise, Portland had a very good chance of losing a game on the road. So Portland's still winless altogether. And the only other team in MLS without a win is Chicago Fire under Frank Yallop. Whitecaps dodging a bullet there by, by not... So that was all the action from the Western Conference teams in MLS this weekend and that concludes this week's MLS Musings. So that's nearly about it for another episode of There's Still Time. But before we wrap up, just got a couple of things we want to go over. First thing we have to mention is this Saturday at BC Place, Whitecaps take on San Jose Earthquakes. And it's going to be the launch of the Whitecaps Ring of Honour. To celebrate the 40th anniversary of the original Whitecaps first season, Bobby Leonard Doozy is going to be inducted into the Ring of Honour. With three others getting inducted this season, we're going to have Carol Valentine, Andrea Neal. Not quite sure why they're putting a woman in, but there we go. Now, now there. And one of the best goal scorers the Whitecaps have ever had, if not the best, Dominic Mobilio. So it's going to be good that they're they're doing that. We still hope to continue our all-time great series on AFTN, just have not had the time to get back to that. So that's going to be coming up soon as well. Now the Whitecaps residency were in action over the weekend. And the, the 18s, they got a draw and a win. And the 16s got two wins down in California. Steve, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, they played their one of their fiercest rivals. Well, not rivals, but like guys who were in with near them battling out for a playoff spot. The Anza Force. Uh, ah, on, ah, 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 can it. you feel the force? And they did feel the force. Yes, they went up three uh, nothing. Bustos, Kyle Jones, Keon's froze scored the goals for them, but then they gave up three. Uh, they ended up in a three all draw. The U16s played and they were down to nothing and then down a man and then afterward they were down a man they scored three goals and they actually won the game and goals scored there by Caden Chung, Dario Zanetta and Taron Campbell. Sixteens are definitely coming on to a game at the moment. Yeah, the su- Sunday was uh, I wish I was down there for that one because that was absolutely a fun oh, fest. Oh yeah, uh, they played Santa Cruz, uh, which a lot of people who were well, about five of us that were there in the first year that we sang the, the, the Christmas songs for Santa Cruz. 
Um, yeah, they just, beat them 8 yeah. nothing. Matthew Chow with a hat-trick. Mason James with a hat-trick. Mitch Pro and Darius Zanata with singles. U, the U16s beat them as well, 7-2. Um, Imar is with two goals. Cole Morokovic with two goals. Baldissimo is it and Gardner finishing up the scoring. So they basically outscored their opponents 21-7. to Came back with 10 of 12 points. And the, the game against the Ans in particular, it, it was good that the White Cats didn't lose that. Both the 18s and the 16s are in the playoff mix. So they're, they're definitely both going to postseason this year. Looks like Seattle is going to actually win both the 18 and the 16 conferences. But the, the White Caps are going to be there. Not as high as they've been ranked in recent years, but that maybe is going to take a little bit of the target off their back. Well, also, the, the thing you have to remember is that the, the 18s, at least, were missing the, a lot of their players during the World Cup. It hurt them, and they dropped a few games there. And then the U16s were weakened, too, because they were moving some of their better players up to the U18s. And so, overall, I think, while they're, they aren't the top of the conference, they're a pretty strong team overall. And the PDL season kicks off this coming weekend on Sunday in Victoria, a game at 2 o'clock. If you're on the island, try and get along to that. If you fancy a nice trip to the island, head over for that as well. So good luck to the, the 23s when they kick off. Also this weekend is going to be the semi-finals of the BC Provincial Cup. In the A Cup, it's an all-VMSL Final Four, so there's going to be a couple of cracking games. At the point of recording this, we don't actually have whether the games are going to clash with the Whitecaps game on Saturday or not. Hoping at least one of them, if not both of them, are going to be the Friday and the Sunday. But check the BC Soccer website anyway. So if the times work out, try and get along to, to those games. Also the semi-finals in the B Cup, under-21 Masters and the women's as well. If you want to catch up with the weekend's action, check out AFTN. We've got video and reports from a number of the games over the weekend. Some cracking goals as well, so, so check that out. So that's it for episode 60 of There's Still Time. This is our Diamond Anniversary Edition. We they, hope you've enjoyed it. hope you thought it was a gem. They never thought we'd make it past 50. I didn't think we'd make it past five, really, but there we go. So we're still going strong. We'll be back at the weekend with our pre-game show. Watch out for Steve and the rest of the AFTN crew for that. So Steve, just let everyone know where they can find you online. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. And you can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Watch out for all our stuff on AFTN on Canadian Soccer News, AFTN.ca. Also look out for my writings on the Whitecaps on Soccerly.com and starting this week you can read some of my stuff about the Whitecaps on MLSsoccer.com So until next time, thanks for listening and mon the Caps! One day I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Ten minutes left. Yeah, but-